Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. We are two everyday women who have survived, thrived, been defeated, humbled, and spent our lives committed to embracing all complexities of being a woman. This podcast is dedicated to all women, all women searching for real conversations. We are going to be exploring everything from sexuality, aging, menopause, physical and mental health, spirituality, marriage, divorce, and blended families. Everything is on the table, except politics. Every episode will be committed to engaging conversations that will include interviews with influential women, leaders, healers, authors, and good friends. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman. I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. And tonight, we are giving you another Turn the Mic episode. Tonight, we are sitting here with our executive producers, Kenny North and Scott Robbins, (laughs) who, of course, whenever we turn the mic on one of us, we bring them in so that they can ask the questions and do their version of their little fun interview. Yeah, Scott is the, the epitome of asking questions. What do you mean? (laughs) So it's been a few months. We did turn the mic on me, I would say, what, three months ago? Yeah, and we've been anxiously waiting for uh, the opportunity to interview the amazing, beautiful, remarkable Deanna Robbins, who we all love, and hear her story and kind of just get a little glimpse of what makes her the woman she is today. Okay. So should we start with Scott? I think I'm ready. Am I sleeping in a separate bedroom? Huh? <laughs> Maybe. Depends. Are we good? Are we good? <laughs> Are we good? We're good. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, everyone. One of the things that I really enjoyed learning about Christy last time we did this is just learning about her story, especially her youth. But before, we, and we're going to get into that with you, I think it'd be good just for people to know who you are like right now. Like, what is your job? How many kids do you have? Where are you right today? Okay, good question. I have been in the real estate industry for 24 years next month. Mm -hmm. 24 years. 24 years I should know that. I'm only 29. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe it. It's been a fast 24 years. But mother of four children, two of my own and two stepchildren, your daughters. Mm -hmm. Um, And what are their names? So Tasia is my oldest. She is 31. Taylor is my second oldest. He is 26. Sydney is just barely 19. Mm -hmm. And Berkeley is 15, anxiously awaiting to be 16 and driving in December. We all appreciate that. (laughs) And I am currently the managing broker for a Summit Sotheby's International Realty Office in Draper. Wonderful. Yeah. That's very good. Okay. So... Like we talked about earlier with Christy, I think what is a really unique thing with you two is you you both kind of had very similar backgrounds of, I don't want to say underprivileged, but you definitely were on the other side of the tracks. And give us a little background of like your childhood of like where you were, where you grew up, like where did you go to middle school, high school, that kind of stuff. And what was that like? Well, I grew up in Utah. The other side of the tracks is an interesting statement. We like to call it the West We like to call it the West (laughs) But I would just say, you know, you want to know details. I mean, it's just my father had died when I was 14 months old. Mm -hmm. So I never knew my father. And I learned as I was growing up that my mom was actually married prior. She married her high school sweetheart. And she had my two older brothers and my sister. Mm -hmm. My two brothers went with their dad and my sister came with my mom, but I am a product of, and I know my mom would hate me saying this, but I was a product of, they were not married. My dad was actually married to somebody else with seven other children. And I was, you know, a product of, I guess you could say an affair. My mom dearly loved my dad, Mm -hmm. but... Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he passed away when I was 14 months old. He had rheumatic fever when he was a baby, and he went in for surgery. So if you can just imagine the turmoil, I can only imagine what she went through. There was no communication. She saw him the night before, and he kept saying, I don't think I'm going to make it. 
And she kept saying, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And he said, no, I don't think I'm going to make it. And the reason I'm telling you this is... Before his surgery. I'll tie it in later. Yeah. Okay. So needless to say, he goes in, he has surgery, goes home, and passes away. So for years, my mom grieved the loss of him. You know, she was, you know, as your mom was, Christy, a single parent in the 60s. Yeah. She was a blue-collar worker. She had two kids at home. What did she do for work? She worked for my uncle, Arlen, who owned, it was an Arctic Circle to begin with and then turned into Briggs Ranch House in okay. Holiday. Okay. And an Arctic Circle is, is a fast food Fast food restaurant, place. yes. Yeah, like a Wendy's or a McDonald's. Yeah. Correct. Okay. And then they went independent. So they basically went independent. He branded himself as Briggs Ranch House. It was a great local place in Holiday, Utah. And she worked for him, 80, you know, 40 hours a week. But she also needed assistance because she had a, a young child. I was 14 months old when he passed. So she was apparently getting food stamps or whatever. So they would come and ask her, who is the father? And I remember her telling the story is like, who is the father? And she would never say. She would say, I don't know, just because she didn't want to hurt his family. So I'm going to ask you, when did she tell you? You know, that's such a good question because she always talked about it. So, you know, I grew up with my sister, never grew up with my brothers. I mean, I knew they were That's a whole other story. We're going to get into that. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. But thank God I had my sister. She's five years older than me. But she always talked about it, that my dad had passed away. And as I got older, she talked more and more about it, that I really didn't know all, you know, until you get older, right. you don't understand all the details. But I remember that early on, her talking about it. So, you know, you go through the, you don't have a dad. And back when we were in school in the 60s and 70s, it, I remember my sixth, fifth and sixth grade class, I was the only person who didn't have a dad. So when we would go to make, a fa- I'll never forget the one year we went to make a Father's Day gift. Back then we used to make them in school. Yep. And I said, I really don't have anybody to make it for. And I remember my teacher saying, do you have an uncle? Do you have an older brother? Well, I had an older brother, but I wasn't close to them. I didn't even know my brothers, to be honest. When did you know your brothers? Well, I knew them, but I never spent the night with them. I knew them just because, you know, Similar. obviously my mom talked about him. I could go on and we'll get into that about this. Keep going. But, we'll get into that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it was a, just a different time. So... I lost my dad many years ago, but I can't... How was it growing up where you never... In 14 months is when he passed. Like, did you wonder... I mean, how is that going through a childhood not knowing your dad? Oh, I think all the time. And as every... I mean, you hear story after story of people who... If they were adopted or if they weren't raised with their parents, like trying to find it, I don't know what it is, but when you're growing up trying to figure out your identity, just wanting to Mm -hmm. know more and more about him. I had one picture, my mom had one picture of him. And, you know, if you could see the way my mom's eyes would light up when she would talk about him, Mm. it was, the good thing is, is I knew how much she loved him. And I think she believed he loved her. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, you get to be an adult and you start questioning, well, well, well what was he doing? You know, mm-hmm. was he really as good? So it was really easy for me to put my dad on this pedestal because he was no longer here. So I could only imagine, oh, he would have been this way and he would have been this. So question in the sense that were there ever times when your mom would say something like, oh, that look you just gave me was your dad or, oh, you're... What you just did reminds me of your dad. No, did, was yeah. your dad a conversation piece of sure. of life as a four year old, six year old, ten year old? Yeah, for sure. She would say I was stubborn, <laughs> but she would say I have a big forehead, hence why I wear bangs all the time. Oh my gosh, I know, isn't that funny? But and I'm bull legged. Nobody look now when I'm walking, but she would always say, you're so bull, you're bull-legged just like your dad was. And so my dad wasn't very tall. My dad was only like 5'8". Was your dad a cowboy? 5'9", five, five, no. No cowboy, huh? Um, no. Just bull-legged. And uh, my mom's only 5'5", five, five, so I'm just okay. grateful I got to be 5'4". So, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. What so, did he do? Do you know? Yes, yeah, so my mom worked for him. 
he owned Arctic Circles. Oh, that. So oh, so he is one. So okay. Well, my uncle. Well, no, yeah. My uncle did as well. Oh. But my dad owned an Arctic Circle, and my mom worked for him. Yeah. Okay, so just like I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a six-year-old Deanna with your mom mm-hmm. and your sister, mm-hmm. without your dad. And it sounds like dad was still there in spirit, not ever yeah, talked a about. Bit. I mean, so my earliest memory, we lived in a basement apartment by Liberty Park. It was okay. a, I mean, and this is a very vague memory. Cindy would have, Cindy, my sister, would have a lot more recollection of that basement apartment. But we had a babysitter. Her name was Mrs. Edwards. Um, she was a saint, and so she was wonderful. But I vaguely remember just a tricycle and just being there. But then we moved in with my grandma, who lived in Midvale, right yep. on 7th East. And now there's a tattoo. So do you know where Michael Rose Brothers mm-hmm. uh, Bar is? Yeah. Right across the, the Union. street from that. Yeah, the Union. Mm-hmm. Right across the street from that is a tattoo place. and But that used to be my grandma's house. And that road used to be a two-lane, so it was a lot narrower. But that was where... So we lived with my grandma until the end of my kindergarten year. Um, wow, you remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember. You know, and I had a wonderful grandma. My grandma was amazing. This is your she mom's died. mom. My mom's mom. She died way too young, but she was... You know how they seem so much older back then. But then my mom remarried. So she had divorced from her first husband, her high school sweetheart, had been with my dad. My dad died, was single, and then she met a, a guy and married and then we moved to Kearns. And that's when we first went to Kearns. So and I was five, six. So your mom was single and she you guys moved in with your grandma and then you moved to Kearns uh-huh. with who? Um his name was Cecil. Okay. And because they got married, or the because they got married. Okay. Um, he was from Oklahoma, and this is where Christy and I talk about. You know, back then, well, you and I have talked about this when you were younger. Parents get married, like there's no conversation of, "Hey, I've met this guy. <laughs> I really like him. I want you to meet him." Like there was no, <clears throat> you know, and and no disrespect to my mother whatsoever. My mom. My mom has been a very loving mom, and she has been amazing. Do you remember, I mean, that conversation, do you remember your mom saying, did Cecil kind of come around and they were dating? Or is it like you came home from school on Friday and she goes, guess what? I'm getting married on Saturday and we're moving to West Valley. Was that it? Or do you do you even remember that? I don't. I do remember she was dating him when we lived with my grandma. Okay. I don't remember, and I'm sure it could have happened. I just don't remember. Sure. And all I know is they bought a house and moved to Kearns, and and that's all I know. Yeah, that's all I. You just learn to adapt. (laughs) How long were they married? Well, so Cecil had two kids from Oklahoma. He was married before, lived in Oklahoma. I don't even remember what he did for an occupation, but he came into our life. Cecil wasn't. 100% of a good person, but I don't want to really dive into all of that with him, but what happened is he was killed in a car crash in Corner Canyon, which really is a blessing, but not to my mother, but this is the first time I experienced death because I had a really good girlfriend that lived across the street. Her name was Lori, Mm -hmm. and her mom was single. She was the only other person I knew that the mom was single wonderful people her mom was just a sweetheart and I slept over there and I remember getting up in the morning and I looked over across the street and there were all these cars at my house there was a cop car there and I'm like oh my gosh and I want to say I was eight or nine I don't remember the exact age it was eight or nine and my sister came over she was five Cindy's five years older than me she came over and got me said you need to come home now and it was my first real uh episode of death and so I walked in, and there were all these people in our house, and we had, you know, it's a little house. My mom is flat on the couch in full, distraught. You know, you look at your parents as being always the strong yeah. one, and she was um, a mess. So mind you, now she has had a divorce. She, My dad died, and now her, her, her second, second husband yeah. has been killed in a car crash. They were drinking, driving Corner Canyon, hit the shoulder, and rolled their truck. And that's how he died. And how old was she when that happened? My mom. Mm-hmm. So you were eight? 
Yes. So, so she's in her forties. She was in her forties, early forties. Okay. Yeah, yeah, very okay. forty probably. And she was married to Cecil for how long before that? His death? Two years? Three years? Two years. Yeah. Few years. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I would say four years. Probably about four years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was, and I, you know, in all these years, I've never really asked her, you know, how that was for her. I mean, my mom was just so busy doing her life and surviving that. You know, we just kind of did our thing. You your know, mom, I was so independent. Your, your mom is a survivor. So is your mom. Oh, for Christy. sure. Christy. Yeah. But hearing the stories. So after that happens, what happened? What does life look like after that? Because you were coming from living with grandma. Uh-huh. You, your mom now is married. Your family is going on a new path. Yeah. And now what happens? So Cecil, I do know this because I've asked her this since, but Cecil served in the Navy. So once he passed, she was getting his Social Security beneficiary. Okay. And so it just, you know, life went on. And the weird part is I didn't have a lot of emotion around it. I, you know, looking back, like I didn't, I remember going to the funeral and going up to the casket with, I think, a cousin. And I remember just, it didn't seem real. Like I didn't understand really the concept of death. I didn't really understand it all. Yeah. And, um, but I didn't miss him. I didn't miss. There was a disconnect. You know, I didn't. didn't have that. Yeah. Okay. So. Cecil's come and gone. I want to go back to the whole comment about your siblings. Yeah. So your father passes when you're 14 months. Right. Your mom has three children from another person. Right. Okay. And you said you didn't know them. I, yeah, correct. Because the boys went with their father. Right. But your sister, Cindy, stayed with you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Just think about that, people. You have three children. Two go with one spouse, and one goes with another. Yeah. And, you know, and this, I know the story, but I, I, you know, again, it's my mom's story to tell, which she didn't want to share uh, when we did the Mother's Day episode. But let me just say this. It was not a good divorce, and there was a lot of stuff there, a lot of hurtful stuff. So, unfortunately, out of all of that, what happened because kids are just a pawn, really. I mean, you just get, you just do whatever you're told, right? right? And my mom suffers from, she's definitely suffered from confidence and being secure and making a decision and standing up for herself. And women didn't do it as much back then. But everybody who paid the price for that, unfortunately, is, I feel like I lost out on really getting to bond with my brothers. Sure. Oh, without a doubt. My sister lost out on getting to be with her dad a -hmm. lot of the time and with her brothers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even though she had some opportunity, she was robbed of that. And her brothers and her dad lived in Park City. I mean, it's not like they moved to Phoenix. No, they lived in West Valley. All right, yeah. So they were still close. It's not like they moved out of state or whatever. It wasn't far. But it was just, it was very, uh, it was not a good scenario. Let's just put it that way. So, you know, I've often said, because Cindy is probably the most loving, gracious person. Cindy is your sister. Cindy's my sister. And thank God I had, I mean, thank God I had her. But my mom was robbed of raising her boys as well, which is really sad. And the guilt and the trauma she has from that. But yeah, I mean, it just is what it is. But my sister is forgiving and loving. And we've often said with each other, I don't know who got the worst deal. Me, who I never had a dad, so I could put him up on this pedestal and think he was awesome. Or you had a dad, but he didn't care as much as you thought he mm-hmm. would care for you. Yeah, that's great. And I think he did later in life. And I, whoever, I don't know all those stories, but unfortunately, she kind of got robbed of having her dad in her yeah. life on a consistent basis. So, you know, hear, hearing you explain your story, one thing that comes to me is from somebody that had parents and that, and no divorces and just a normal family life in what I thought was normal is that you've gone through all of these experiences, but during those experiences, like you never felt that you were getting the raw end of the stick because it was just your experience. And so you, I mean, from what I'm hearing is that you're telling this story and it's a survivor story of what you did growing up. But did you ever feel that that you got the short end of the stick while you were growing up? Not looking back, but as you were growing up, were you like, oh my gosh, my life sucks, or it's 
totally different from all of my friends? I, you know, Kenny, that is such a really good question because I wouldn't say I got the raw end of the deal, but where I did struggle is I didn't know where I fit in. Mm. I kind of felt like the oddball out. I was the only person that had a different dad. And, you know, it's the stuff we project on ourselves, right? No, I would not say anybody made me feel, I mean, even in my, my mom's family, like I always just had this feeling like I'm just probably a mistake. I'm a, I'm the, I don't fit in anywhere. And, and where that really comes in is when my mom married her next husband and his name was Gary. And I would say this is probably where it really shined of how awkward it was. And this was when you were how old? So my mom was single after Cecil died for several years. I don't, I couldn't tell you exactly, you know, kid years versus adult years. (laughs) My mom's probably um, got a different record, you know, her memory's probably different than mine. But I want to say Gary came into the picture when I was about 10. Okay. So Cecil died when I think I was about eight. So maybe two years? Eight, nine, maybe two years later, Gary comes into the picture. And Gary was an individual who, I mean, I did not like him from the get-go, but you don't have a say. What I, didn't you like about him? He was, he was big, he was, meaning big, he seemed big in stature to me, intimidating, ugly, smelly. I mean, like, I will say I created this monster in my head, but he became, he was a monster. And so she married him, he had two boys. And it was a true, this is how I remember it, and I may not be, but this is my recollection. She marries him. So I'm 10, my sister's 15. So there's a big difference between 10 and 15. Gary comes into the picture, and he seemed fine. He wasn't like, like a, I mean, he wasn't like somebody you just were drawn to. And I think my guard was up anyway. Like, nobody's coming into my, I was fine without, right? I had my mom, I had my sister, I had my grandma. Like, I didn't need... Yeah. any anybody else in my life but um so I don't think I was very engaging but he came in and I will say once they got married <laughs> mind you I never went to any of the weddings I have no idea when they when my mom got married I have no oh idea. really like, I think wow it was did she elope really did they go to like the county I, courthouse good question well, that's a good question that's you really should good, ask good question but she married him and I want to say I don't know how much time later but we saw the true side of Gary and it came out, and it was really ugly. You gotta elaborate a little bit on that. Well, just a little became, bit. No, I can tell the whole story. Gary became very violent and towards your mom or you towards everybody. And he was the kind of guy like in the summer. So here's something that would that was kind of starting is you know in the summer back then we played kick the can. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love kick the can. Oh my god, sorry, best thing ever. Sorry. Well, in the summer, you know, we all played outside. You would leave during the day, and you would come home when it was dark, dusk, and you would come home for dinner because you knew it was about time to come home for dinner. But Gary, we only had a carport. We didn't have a garage, but he would keep, like, screws or nails in a coffee, a little coffee can, not a big coffee can. And one night, they would always bowl on Tuesday nights, and I remember one night we were looking for a can to play kick the can. And I dumped out all the screws because we're just going to use the can and then I'll come back. And And he came home from bowling and lost his mind and scared all the neighborhood kids because he just, he had a deep, gruff voice. And it was, Deanna, where are you? And get your ass back here. What the hell are you doing taking my can? You know, and I'm like, it's a can. But, you know, he was so intimidating. I mean, I'm a 10-year-old little yeah. girl. And... It was just a camp. But anyway, that's how it started. But the abuse started, and I asked my mom this. That's what I was talking to her about earlier. Mm. Is, do you know why he became violent? He worked at Kennecott. And, Kennecott's Copper Mine here in Utah. Yeah, Kennecott Copper Mine. I don't know what he did for them, but he just became a very violent alcoholic. And so it would be, he would come home at night, and he would be drunk, and he would just start yelling and just start for I don't know what reason. But the worst part of it was is he would typically lock him and my mom in the bedroom, and you could hear the yelling and screaming, and it was it was terrifying. But you learn to read people really early when you are living with that type of a situation. So 
Well, that had to create, you know, being 10 years old and experiencing that and witnessing that, do you feel like that created any, I mean, obvious trauma, but that comes with an underlying probably anxiety, fear, insecurities that kind of like start to develop because this is like a trauma and you didn't have that before. Now, well, it was, you know, it was terrifying because it would just, you learned to read, like if he was coming home late. So there were many a nights where he wasn't coming home from work on time and my mom would load us up in the car and we would go to my grandma's house because she knew he was going to come home drunk and become violent. And it's Did you know that at the time? I mean, did you oh, know that's what was happening? Or, oh, yeah. How did that make you feel? Well, it just like, point, like, thank God for Cindy. I, I say this all the time because Cindy was braver and... Cindy's, you know, your, Cindy's your older sister. Older yeah. sister. Okay. She's five years older. So she was at a point, you know, 15. She was a lot more brave and strong. And we slept with a butcher knife under our, between our mattresses. No way. Because, really? Oh, yeah. Because my sister thought if he does anything to mom, like, we're going to do it. <laughs> but Yeah, but it's the mindset. But, but the, mind, the mindset. That's, our, that's right. Yeah. But I want to tell you about a night because this is just the type of man he was. So things started to progress. I will admit, I am really stubborn. And my mom, you know, back then, my mom made dinner every night. We never ate out. Unlike your husband now. No, just like my husband. But she would cook, and I wasn't a big meat eater. And he made, she made, like, I want to say it was steak or liver. And I didn't like steak when I was young. And I didn't like liver. I still don't like liver. Nobody likes liver. God, liver and onions? What the hell? My my mother made liver and onions all the time. I don't know why she would continue to do that when we never did So my mom made, anyway, it was the three of us. My sister now at this point is working. She's working. She is a waitress at Italian Village in West Valley. And that was, was, (laughs) Italian Village was my first job. Oh my gosh, it was. That was amazing. It was, uh, such a great, such a great place. Uh, but there was one in West Valley. Is that the one you were at, Kenny? No, I was in the, the one in Murray. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, they were in the one in West Valley. And my sister, thank heavens, was more independent. But my sister was gone. She worked weekend nights. And, of course, she was a teenager, so she had a life. But we're sitting at the table, and he would just get in a fit for a rage about anything. And... You know, I ate my vegetables, I ate everything else, and I didn't want to eat. And I, I remember it being liver, but it could have been... It's got to be liver, because mm-hmm. that was that era, cheap meats. Oh, God, I just didn't want to eat it. <coughs> he just said, you're going to sit there until you eat that. And so... Like, Does everybody have that story? Like, I know Christy has the story oh, yeah. of sitting at the table. I personally don't haven't had that story. Really? Like, my, no, my parents just like, eat what you want to eat, and yeah. if you're done, you're done. Yeah. If you took too much, then everybody would get mad. But, like, it, you know, and they didn't have any. But did you ever yeah. have that, Scott? No, I never had that. No, you never had that? Okay, no. so the two girls. So <clears throat> I sat there. It just would infuriate him that I wouldn't eat it and just do it. Now I know, looking back, he was just pissed that I wouldn't do what he said to do, right? So I just kind of sat there. And I'm like, I can just sit here all night because I don't want to eat that meat. And he finally lost his cool and said, you know, you need to eat that. And I said, I'm, you know, and I just sat there. I said, I'm, I'm full. Well, he finally got up, threw me out of the chair, laid me on the ground, and he is straddling me on my chest with his knees holding my arms down. Mind you, I'm like 11. Right. He's going to teach me a lesson. So he's going to put Tabasco sauce in my mouth. And I'm doing this. And turning your head, it gets Tabasco sauce in my eyes. And oh God! Bottom line, he's where like was your mom? Freaking out, you know, right there, and hitting him, and like get off her, get off her, and it gets in my eyes, and I'm sure I was crying and whatever. And he's just like, get the f to your room. I don't want to see you come out. Don't come out of your room, or you're, you know, anyway. So you go to your room, and but then he goes and takes it out on my mom. Like, there was no rhyme or reason so, to his... So, but what I want to say about this, I mean, this is an important part to tell because I think this message is for um, speaking from a child's perspective. So, Gary only hurt me a couple of times, but I want to I want to tie this in. So, the second time, because you learn to read people really well, 
I had a 10 speed. I got a 10 speed for, I think, my 12th birthday. And we had a house in Kearns. I mean, basically, the houses you can just like do a full circle and go through the whole house. Right. But we had a carport. We didn't have a garage. We didn't have anything. So we would keep our 10 speeds. You would come in the back door and go right into a U shaped kitchen, right? And our laundry room was right behind it. So you would bring your bike in, shut the door, then take the bike around so you could keep it in at night so it would get stolen. And even though I say we lived in the hood, to some people it was not even considered a hood. But in Utah, it was the hood. We had a lot of gangs. We had gangs. We had, I can tell you story after story of shit that happened. I had a neighbor who stabbed his sister. I, I mean, anyway, it goes on and on and on. Well, I happened to one summer night... It was late. Me and my mom ate dinner. My sister's at work. I take my bike out, and all of a sudden, as I'm taking my bike out, Gary pulls up, gets out of his truck, and he's like, where the hell are you going? I'm just going to go ride my bike. Well, who said you could go ride your bike? Well, mom said I could go ride my bike. You can't fucking go ride your bike. You can't, you know, he just starts yelling at me. And then he finally gets to the point where he just says, get the hell out of here. Well, then, as he walks in the house... I'm 12, I'm like, my mom's in there by herself. Like, I can do anything, but I, I can't leave my mom alone because he's just going to beat her up. So I go to go back in the house. I go to take my bike in. So I take my bike in, and I'm backed into the U-shaped kitchen, and here's my bike. I'm in the corner, and now he's pissed because I'm back. What the hell are you doing? I thought you were going to go ride your bike. And mind you, he's yelling. Like, it's not a quiet... And I said, I changed my mind. And he just, he just wants to argue. He just wants to, why'd you change your mind? This is, you're just, I don't even know what he, all he said. And my mom is over here in the dining room. And I just said, I just changed my mind. He goes, you backtalk me one more time and I throw you out that front room window. So I just put my head down. Next thing I know, he's choking me. I know, that's tough. That's tough. We have an intermission. Um... Let's move on. Because I want to talk. No, about I want to finish. I think you want to finish? Okay. I have a message you. I think you want to wrap that up. Because, sorry. But, I mean, I don't know. Sure. You are so brave, babe. You're so brave. I don't know why I'm emotional about it. I haven't shared that with a lot of people. Like, you know that story, but. I do. Anyway, um, what's so horrible about it is. One, I was terrified, but I'm 12 years old, and I totally pee my pants because I was scared to death. My mom finally gets him off me, and he's just like, get in your room, don't come out. So even though I'm, I'm in there because I'm trying to say, you know, like I can do anything for her, but he again then gets violent with her the rest of the night. So that night, this is why I'm telling this story, um... Cindy wasn't there. And I remember thinking, this is so horrible. If he kissed my mom, where am I going to go? Mm-hmm. I don't... Do you, did, have you ever Sorry. talked to your mom about that night? A little bit. A little bit. Have you ever talked to Cindy about that night? Oh, yeah. Because Cindy was kind of my um, protector, and Cindy always wanted to... I don't know why I'm crying. Oh, because <laughs> it's a big deal. <laughs> super traumatic. Anyway. You made it through. Yeah. You made it through. Totally made it through. Sorry. It's just hard to share it. And it's embarrassing. Like, it's talking about taking the shame of all this shit that happens to you. You carry that and you're like, God, I don't want to be identified with any of that. Anyway. But I remember sitting in my room that night and thinking, where am I going to... And that's a horrible thought. Like, my For mom, a 12-year-old. If he kills her, I can't, I don't have the strength. I can't. He was seemed so big in the time. You can't protect her. I can't, yeah. And I can't protect her. And your young mind yeah. is panicking over all of it. You can't even make sense of any of it. Yeah. You're so right. And it's so weird because the blessing out of all of that is you've learned to read people really well at an early age. But that moment in my room that night is like, where do I go? Well, my grandma's older. Cindy's going to go to her dad's. But not even thinking of the trauma. You're so selfish. 
No, but you're playing out. No, you're, you're playing out your survival yeah. Yeah. of what you yeah. just like this traumatic experience that you've just been through. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just ask you a quick question because I think it's very important. Because you guys always ask everybody at the end of your interview with them is like, what would you do if you were to tell that your 12 year old person? What would you tell yourself mm. today? No. To be brave, that you'll get through it. To fight, I think that's what I would tell myself because I was so scared. But let me interject one one more thing. What, as a mom, if you had gone through that, what would you have done with your, and knowing that you've gone through this, and there's more to the story, but what would you have done with your child after that experience happened mm-hmm. to to help them move forward with it or just because you haven't talked about it right which is why you're so emotional about it yeah and christy and i've learned that through the loss of our son is that talking through certain things helps get it out it helps you heal it helps you go through the process of healing but if if you were a parent like what would if this has happened for some of the other listeners what would you do as a mom for one of their kids or what would you tell them that maybe they should do? This is the key because I think what happens in that situation is I asked my mom this question because that was traumatic for me, but I don't answer that. Let me just tell you one more thing. There was another night where he wasn't coming home. See, I had never seen him. I never actually seen him hurt my mom, but I knew it. Like you could hear the screams you could hear stuff, but I never actually saw it. No, my sister did. And one night, Cindy was working again. It was a weekend, and my mom's friend Sue came and got us, and my mom was trying to get us out of the house. So as we're getting in the car to leave, he shows up. So I'm in the car with my mom's friend Sue, and I'm in the back seat. And they were in the carport, and it was there was a window to the kitchen, and it had, you know, those old homes and currents have this brick windowsill that kind of come out. Little planter box thing. No, it's just the brick is this way, and oh. then here's oh, the, yeah. so it just yeah. kind of comes out a little yeah. bit. But yeah. my mom is five five, and they're arguing, and I'm just watching it, and all of a sudden he loses it, and he just starts choking her neck. And she's up off the ground, and her, the windowsill, I can remember the brick looking like it was in her neck, and I lost it. And I'm in the car trying to get out, and my mom's friend would not get out of the fucking car. To go help her? To go help her. Wow. She was trying to keep me calm, and I lost it. And I am just like, I can't, I mean, that was the first time I seen him lay hands on her. And... That wrecked me more than anything. So this is why I would say to a parent, you want to protect your children, but you have no idea how much your kids want to protect you. Ooh, that's good. And the hurt is worse. Like, it's the same as a parent. Like, you would rather take the abuse in your child. Right. A child feels the same way. And they're helpless at the and same you're time. Helpless, like, which is which is a worse feeling if you're helpless yeah. and you're watching something happen to somebody that you love, but you can't do anything about it. And you've shared that story at your uh, speech when you became president of UAR, yeah. which is a whole other story. Yeah. But that's but no, I think that I mean just going over all the stuff growing up. I don't know. I always felt to your question. I. No, I don't recall ever going, this sucks. I, I mean, I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. I didn't love not having a dad. I remember when Cindy would go over to her dad's and she'd come back with these presents, but they were also Disneyland dad. Not really. And, but my sister was always trying to incorporate me and include me. I mean, she... She was your protector. She wanted so oh. badly for me to... Like, she would get invited over to her dad's, and she would actually say, can I bring Deanna? And they didn't want me there. She just wanted me, like, oh, God. I mean, I can't even imagine not having her. So, but I, but even with all of that, we were the latchkey kids. That's just how we grew up. But I have been blessed with so many 
there's just sometimes you have a feeling like I know this is going to be something that people think is a little crazy. I have always felt a presence with me. This is the thing I think. Yeah, is this is what I want you to get into. I really believe I've always had somebody watching over me, and I know people might think that's a little weird, but I can tell you time and time again, I think. I second grade. I was. We lived in a rough neighborhood. Second grade. I would go down the street, pick up my friend Denise to walk to school together. And one day, she was running late, and so I waited for a minute. And her mom was like, "You better go. You're going to be late." So then I start heading off to school. All the other kids have gone. We walk to school. Next thing I know, this car pulls around the corner, and opens the door. And a man says, jump in, you're late for school, I'll take you to school. And I will tell you, I heard such a loud man's voice in my head go, run, run. And I just beelined it and ran to school. Wow, um, that's amazing. I think then. Cecil's death was, uh, I think it had to happen. I, my neighbor, um, I was around so many ugly situations. My neighbor, come to find out later... He was molesting his daughter that was my age. He was molesting his niece that was my age. And after we moved away, which he tried to get close to me, um, he finally was arrested for raping a 12-year-old girl. Wow. I, my mom, we had a, an uncle that lived down the street. The bathroom was at, our bathroom was being remodeled. We pulled up. It was winter. It was cold. My mom said, just stay in the car. You know, we had those big boat cars yeah. is what I remember. She was going to run in, go to the restroom, and I just had this, like, get up. I looked out the back window and saw these three teenage boys coming, and I had this voice, get out of the car. I got out of the car, ran in the house. Those three boys stole the car. You would have been in it. I would have been in it. That's amazing. And anyway, so I swear to God, there is somebody that has been watching out for me because so many things could have happened that I was in so many situations. But I, you know, I wasn't. You were saying that, um, you know, I don't think we truly remember as being kids exactly, you know, all the feelings and emotions that we were dealing with at that time. And I think it's, there's no shame in saying, you know, as a young kid, because I remember feeling that, wow, this is, you know, I knew I had a rough life. I knew that what we were experiencing with, you know, our childhood, that not many were going through that, that I knew of. Obviously, as we talked about, people have worse stories than we do, but at the time, it felt pretty damn hard and awful. And there were times where I would cry in my pillow mm. and think, why? And how mm. am I going to change this? And what am I going to do different? And so, um, obviously, as an adult, you know, that changed the way I looked at my childhood and the way I looked at my parents and all of those things. And I could actually look back and go, okay, they came in with what they they had, we talked about that, you know, they came and did the best they could, but as a young kid, I wasn't thinking that way. I was frustrated and upset and angry, and um, so, you know, at what point for you do you think you went, I don't want this, and how do I change this, and and when did that light come on for you, or did it, and and what did that look like? I don't know when it came on. I just knew that I knew that I didn't want that and I would never tolerate that from a man that is what I knew but as you and I have talked uh, I think the biggest thing is is just overcoming the inadequacy because every friend I had had a family for the most part everybody seemed to you know you put everybody in this pedestal like everybody's got it perfect and you're like man I'm one I don't really know where I belong I'm kind of this displaced person and secondly do you feel that way now you know it's been a lifelong battle of feeling where where you really fit in and finding my voice and feeling yes in the sense of I mean yeah this is a total side note but I mean do you feel like you sort of still don't belong no I don't okay I wouldn't think I would hope not yeah I don't think that but I mean even with my in my own family like yeah. Meaning, I've always fit with my mom and my sister. Like that's never been a weird thing, but it's been it's been a growth thing for my brothers. Mm-hmm. Even my extended family, my mom's family is beautiful. I mean, you've met some yeah. of my cousins. Yeah. My aunts yeah. have all been wonderful. But even with some of my aunts and uncles, most of them were always they were they never divorced. My mom was one of the only ones that divorced, sure. and so 
even with them, I felt like that was just some weird. It, it was me. It was not anybody else. It was me who put that on. So I think, to Christy's point, I think I just was trying to run away from... So a perfect example. I was trying to run away from all of that. And I didn't want that to be my identity. Right. Like, I'm not this... I'm going to show the world that I got it together more than anything. Right. Like, I've got it together. And so I knew everything by 18. Okay, so that was, <laughs> to, to Christy's point, when, that was the, the, the question. It was like, when did you say... I'm going to have it different. And when is your perspective saying, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to leave this behind me. I'm going to create this new life for Deanna. Yeah. This happened at 18. This happened at. I would say high school. I would say it was high school. And then I was fortunate enough to meet, I mean, my high school sweetheart ended up being the father of my daughter. Okay. So Jess was my high school sweetheart. An amazing guy. An amazing guy. And he was my first love. He was my first everything. And he was the first person I actually confided in to about a lot of things. Okay. Because I just, and you know, my mom doesn't even know some stuff because... I think it would hurt her, and you know. So you're still guarding your mom on I a certain. I still for sure. So, oh, yeah. so you're still carrying her. some of this stuff. Oh, for sure. And I probably will tell she dies because. But a lot of it is, and I, I can't speak for Christy, but it seems like we're the same. Like you just, we wanted to. I became my own project. So what happened is I got married, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do everything different. And I did. I married a good man. I mean, I could have, Scott asked me this earlier, you can go one way or the other, right? And I didn't follow the pattern my mom followed. I went completely different. And I I would never tolerate any abuse of any kind. I will say that. That I did learn. Like, you're not going to tolerate that. At least I wasn't going to tolerate that. And anybody who hurt my child. But then there's the other consequence of that, too. Uh, I still have triggers. When a man raises their voice and gets really loud and stuff, it still triggers me. Like, I still have that knee-jerk reaction. Mm. It was worse when my kids were younger, but there's still things. Do your children know that about you? I don't know if they know that. Do your children know that story about Gary? Um... You know, I think I've shared some. They will of that. now. They will. Yeah, they will now. I think I've shared some of that. I don't think I've shared all of it. But I don't think they have. It's very vulnerable, and it's. Very, oh my gosh, honey, you've been uh, so vulnerable. Huh? But I, I guess to this point, as I was so obsessed, whatever age it was, you know, I got married at eighteen, right? And I married a really great person. But the truth be told, I wasn't ready to be in a mature relationship, and. I was not prepared, even though I thought I knew more than my mother, and I thought I was more mature, and all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I want a career, and I want, you know, I didn't go to college, so many of my friends went to college, just like you, like I've never really felt like a victim, it was what it was, I've never harbored any animosity towards my mom, I've never, I, I really believe she did the best she could. But I will tell you what happened is the whole Gary period, I was actually a really good student, and I was on honor roll, and I was always straight A's until that period. And I didn't give that period enough credit of what it actually did to me because right. I got behind. And so then I never wanted to ask for help. So I was, I'm the worst at asking for help. So I never wanted to be weak. And I never wanted to be, oh, that person who doesn't get it or who doesn't know. So you try to cover that up. But, you know, that period of those three years, really, I got behind. For sure. And But instead of going to a teacher and saying, I need help, I, I've actually shared the story with Scott. My sixth grade teacher, who was only, I think, 25 at the time, he knew something was off. And I thought he hung the moon. Like, I'm in sixth grade. I was 11. And I thought he was awesome. But one day he pulled me aside. And he said, is everything okay at home? And I said, yeah, everything's fine. And as much as in my head I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, because there's you have no, no idea. way I could tell people, you know, what was going on. But that's the regret I have is the damage that does to children because I got behind and I never allowed myself the grace to go, okay, I need help. That happened. I need help to get caught up because I was so ashamed and embarrassed. And, okay, I'm just going to go. So then we moved, go to a new school. 
I'm fine. You what know? was his name? Whose name? Your teachers. Richard Summers. In what grade? It was sixth grade at Kearns Elementary School. So sixth grade, you are. I was eleven, 11? so I was always younger than the rest. Of, yeah, I didn't like. I didn't turn. Think of think of the fact that you're now fifty four. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Okay, I'm 54. 40-some-odd years ago, uh-huh. you remember that person and that oh, yeah. conversation. Total impact on her life. Oh, my gosh. But did you I also catch, I mean, I, I wanted, I don't want to, like, take away from that, but did you also catch when she started to mask? Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. At age, it probably started at age seven. Right. Well, you, start, really, you started early Cecil. on. With you, Cecil. You started really early on figuring out what you did not want to have. Yeah. And... I know Christy in her story, she had, you know, kind of a defining moment, but I think all of the kids or anybody that is growing up that wants to, that has traumatic experiences or wants to change their outcome starts looking at what they don't want to have in their life. Yeah. And then as you do that, you start creating what your new life is. You have no idea that that's what you're doing. But that's, as a kid, that's what you're doing. And so you're literally setting yourself up for your new future, and you have no idea. Well, and she also doesn't know clue of the survival instinct. Totally. Just go into automatic totally. mode. But, yeah, and then also, but, but what's neat about your story, gathering some of the positive things about it, is that through your survival mode, you're you're learning what one how to react to you know the situations that are around you but also the triggers that are happening and but that if you don't confront those triggers what we what we just talked about you can have them 40 years later and so if you're if you're a family or you're a person that has gone through some traumatic experiences in their life and they're not confronting them and they're not dealing with them and shining the light on them, they're going to grow and they're going to fester. And and I think one, you know, it's very telling, even through this interview of you, is that your your moment, a very traumatic moment in your childhood, you brought to light and you're still, the emotions that came out and filled this room were very heavy and very strong. It's because you haven't talked about them. And you haven't brought those out and dealt with it. And I think that one of the things that if you would go back and tell your listeners, what would you tell them right now with everything that I just threw that out at you? <laughs> it's heavy. I well, know. And but... I'm gonna, before you answer that, I'm going to add to this. My only thought to that whole segment is in your environment, in Christy years too, you didn't talk about it. Yeah. No, you buried it. You just went, oh, tomorrow I'm going to school. And you masked. And you masked it. But how, like, we all have children now. If that was our children, you would want to say, hey, we got to talk about this. We got to go talk to a counselor, whatever it is. Yeah. But, like, if there's a little, I think Kenny's saying, if there's a little nugget or something you can say to your 12, 15, or whatever self going, whether it's get out or talk to that teacher or... Talk to your sister or help your mom, whatever it is. If there's anything, I mean. Well, here would be my nugget. And here's what I would say. And I think I did it. And I think um, I became, and when I wrote, we wrote our bios for this, I truly, I became a, a lifelong student. And it was, I don't read books for entertainment. I've always read books for growth. So if it's something that I can grow from, I've done internal work since I was 18. I mean, that's when I really took control of, okay, what's going on with me? Or, and I would listen to, so I have, I, even though I should, I have not, I should have went even earlier on, but like, I just never had the opportunity or so I thought to go to therapy. So I would read a lot of books. I would read the, you know, back then they called them, positive mental attitude or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of a stigma with that. Like, oh, you're just reading that PMA book or you're just, yeah. but you know what? They were, they were like food for me because for, for, sure. for your soul, I would recognize something and go, oh, 
that sounds like, see, it was easier for me to acknowledge it when I would read it or I would hear it on a show. Like you would hear, I mean, to be quite honest, it sounds so cheesy, but to hear Dr. Phil on Oprah or hear different things, I'd be like, oh, I wonder if that's why I do that. And I have been a lifelong student, as Scott can attest, like I have to read and I have, I have been a constant work in progress because I so wanted to overcome that. I would not change my past for anything because I feel like I have had a life of, I did not have it that rough. I had a few little nuggets that were horrible, right? There are people that have suffered such deep abuse. There are people that have suffered a lot more, right? And have come out of it. And I think hearing other people's stories helped me to go, okay, I couldn't do that to what you've talked about. Right. So we ended up. At the same time, I, I definitely don't want to ever have anybody question what they are feeling based on, you know, what they experienced. I think it's all perspective, right? And we have to honor what it was. In our life, it was tough. It was hard. It was mm-hmm. sad. It was traumatic. And we should honor that. It was. Was, yeah. it, was it the same as someone else? No. Did they have it different or worse? There are a lot of stories out there. They did. But but we still have to not dismiss what we were experiencing at our age because it was, we didn't know anything else, but yeah, it was bad. That's true. And if I could add to that, so what you guys went through, if there's a 10 year old and a 12 year old girl going through that now, I mean, how do they get through it? If they don't have anyone to talk to, if they don't have a family member and their home life is like, you guys made it through, and phase two is the successes that you've had. But what advice do you give the 12-year-old Christy and Deanna to go, you need to find your own path? Or, and I'm totally making this up. Like, What do you do when you see it there and go, my mom and dad's door is closed, and I hear bad things? Well, I would say, and Deanna, you, you can add to this, but we, when you don't think that there, you think that there's nobody because you don't have your immediate circle of people that you can reach to. But if you hear, listen to both of our stories, there was somebody. We Ooh, always had somebody. Yeah. You did. And highlight, you know, really looking who that was, we did have people that we could have gone to and maybe talked to. We were just protecting, and we were ashamed, and we yeah. didn't know. So if I could tell a parent or a 12-year-old or a 20-year-old, whatever, um, there's always somebody. We just have to be willing we to, have to be willing. ask for help. Okay, so that's my thing. So if I'm your uncle, Christy, and you're 12, would you be willing back then to go, I got some issues? Well, it, would you would you have been able to be strong enough to go? <clears throat> maybe not an uncle. Or, or, all right, because maybe, a lot of these are man-based true, things, right? right? That's a great point. That's <laughs> yeah, a great point. I, I, uh, I, a I, next-door I, neighbor. But I mean, right. like, if someone is a single mom, abusive boyfriend, and there's a 12-year-old who is pretty much on their own Well, there's a school, right, now. right? You have the teacher. You did have the teacher moment. We and have, that teacher moment the, could have, like, blown, blown things up in a big way, which, I was you know. going to say, to Chrissy's point, but I think it's the adult that has to reach out first. It's just like you hear so many stories. You hear when we've done January story, when you've done so many stories. Oh, yeah. The adult needs to be the one to reach out first because as a child, like, I, there's no way. I mean, even no way. the person I felt the most comfortable, I would have told Mr. Summers. Like, I your, thought he was the teacher. greatest teacher. He but was so scared. nice, and I was scared to death. And I can tell he cared. Like, yes. But you were, you were also scared about what probably yes. what would happen in your life yes. if you told him. And that yes. there was change there, and you didn't know. So here's maybe here's is that what I'm thinking? One hundred percent. Okay. But here, I just want to answer what your question is: is to tell a child of somebody who is going through. This is what I would say: is you cannot stay stuck in a victim role, no matter Ooh, what has happened to you. You cannot stay in that role, and the only person that you can change and control is yourself. And so, I think the best gift you can give yourself is just work on. You give yourself grace and patience and just do the work. And you have a choice. 
and you can either be a player or a victim. And I just think life is way more beautiful when you choose to be a player. Okay, so I'm going to be devil's advocate here. So I'm 12. Mm -hmm. I've never, ever had an example or seen what it means to be like a player. I didn't either. My mom's been a victim. My aunt's been a victim. My sister's been a victim. How do I become a player? Christy and... Yeah, yeah. Christy answers, but I really think there's always another way. There's always another way. There's always another opportunity. So is it something like taking a chance or taking a leap of faith or knowing what's right and wrong or... And again, I'm just asking. I'm 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 not even come close to your situations. But if I'm 12, eight, whatever it is, and everything around me is victim. I mean, your story tonight. Everything around you, Deanna, was victim. Everything. How does that eight, ten, twelve-year-old girl go? Not doing that. Nope. Because I think the ugly side, and maybe a lot of it is, I would love to hear your insight, but Christy, but I think a lot of it might be the spirit that you're born with. I mean, maybe I was born with a spirit of, I don't know, but I wanted, I knew what I didn't want. It was so ugly and so nasty that I naturally wanted what that wasn't. And that is what, but that's what it. held me. Like, but I always want to say to somebody, there is hope and like, Sometimes you have to reach out. Sometimes you have to look for it. But if your gut is telling you something's not right, it's not right, or there's another opportunity, you've got to believe it. And you, I promise you there's another, there's always hope. But I think, I think you just said it perfectly, that there's always a different way, and there's always hope, and that if your gut is telling you something, because I, I don't know Christy as well as I know you, you have been on so many occasions where I'm with you, like, I'm not feeling good about that person. And I'm like, what's wrong with that person? And then all of a sudden stuff comes out, and you're like, you nailed it. I mean, your inner gut tells you so many things. And if you see something, whether it's 8, 10, 12, 16, or whatever it is, that you go, that's not good, or that's not right, or I don't want to be that way. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Well, I think that that when what's so similar in the stories between Deanna and Christy is that they knew what they did not want, and it, and and that's so powerful. And if if you, I mean, if I was to tell somebody that was younger, and I've I've dealt with this in my life, but if you go through and re, write a list of things that you don't want. That might even be more powerful it's, than the things would, that you do want. I would agree with that. Sure. It's more important, right? Yeah. And so if you keep if if you keep that up, and and you just have faith in yourself that I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be like that, and I know what I don't want. You know, a lot of the things that the universe will give you are the things that you do want, mm-hmm. as well, long as you know that you don't want. But go ahead. When you're a child and you're in your teen years there's really not a lot of ability to make those choices and say this is what it's going to look like because we're learning how to just navigate so many emotions and a lot of those emotions are anger resentment fear which drives so many of our choices and so that's where you can see a teen go down another path true well and they don't have the ability to actually make their own choices so because I, they're living up to right. whoever is paying for them. So, I, you know, I, I really want to speak to not just the 12-year-old, but the 20-year-old, the 30-year-old, and the 40-year-old. Mm. It is continuing point. to say that they are a victim. And waiting for the world or the universe to give them this hall pass that is going to change the trajectory of their That's life. That's really good, Christy. And, yeah. and the reality is, until you can... Deal with what you're carrying and make that shift. Your life is never going to really make that change. So as to Deanna's point, it's the choice. It's recognizing and reconciling and then 
leaving it because you cannot keep being a victim. The more you be a victim, continue that victim and blaming your mom, blaming your dad, blaming your husband, blame all of the blame, you're never owning it. So therefore you can never move forward. Yeah. That's the nugget. That's the nugget. Because you could have eat both of you could have easily have done that. And not nearly have been in the situation you are now. With your family, with your success at work, with everything. You could easily have been like, well, I was a stay-at-home mom. My mom was a stay-at-home mom or whatever it is or abusive relationship or whatever it is. I never had that opportunity. And you you guys said, F that. I'm finding that opportunity. Whatever it is. And we quit. We never used it as an excuse. Yeah. And so, you know... Unfortunately, you see that. But so many, so many people see do that. Right, and so I think you really have to go in, to go in and recognize and reconcile a lot of that anger and resentment, so that you can move forward. And we can't always control what happens to us, nope. but we can always control how we respond to it. And that's the biggest thing: is knowing. You know, not everything is going to define us, and that takes time. True. Well, and you basically just have been the epitome of that. You have made the decision to make a choice and become the woman that you are today. So, there you go. (laughs) Some of the pieces of myself. (laughs) That is a beautiful way to end this podcast right now. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment. 